Uh, my name's Matt. Uh, I'm one of the leaders here. It's my privilege today to get to speak to you, and uh, together we can look at the next section of the Bible and see what it has to teach us. Now, we are still just getting started into 2022. If you're anything like me, uh, it's just really not been super easy, I think, to get back into this year. I feel like we're still kind of grinding the gears, trying to get into first and get things going again. So whether you're new here um, or whether you just need a reminder of what on earth was going on the last time we were looking at Galatians. I'm going to give you a bit of background and um, some context. So we're working our way through this letter from one of Jesus' earliest followers. It's a part of the collection of letters at the back of the Bible. Uh, Epistles is the fancy name for them. Um, And these letters come from really early in the story of the very first churches, um, just tens of years after Jesus has died and rose again. Most of them are written by early leaders in the church to try and fix problems that have shown up in church life. So if you ever feel like church life is a bit messy, See that we have some problems here. Well, it's okay. It's been like that way from the absolute beginning. So don't worry. It's nothing new. Now, the particular letter we're looking at is called Galatians because it's written to a group of churches in this sort of general area here. Uh, It used to be called Galatia. It's modern day Turkey. It's written by the guy who started those churches and written because after he moved on, some other guys showed up, uh, wandering teachers with a bit of a different story about what it means to follow Jesus. And our writer, um, particularly in the section we're going to read today, is, uh, has some pretty sharp things to say. And that's because these other teachers are undermining a critical part of his message. They're undermining a kind of cornerstone, uh, a foundation. If you take it out, the whole thing is going to come crashing down. So we're going to read from the Bible. David's going to help us read this morning. And then I'll take a bit of time to explore uh, what we find here Um, We're going to be reading, if you've got one of the blue Bibles here at church, uh, we're going to be reading on page 1171, which is chapter 5 of Galatians, page 1171 on the blue Bibles, chapter 5 of Galatians, big 5, and then we're starting at verse 7, so look for the ultra tiny 7. Galatians 5, chapter 7, David's going to read. Okay, from verse 7. You are running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast walks through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the law that you would take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. Brothers and sisters, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. Thanks, David. Now, those are pretty sharp words, right? He tells his opponents, he says to these other teachers, "Um, can you just go and cut off your man bits, please? That's not exactly the sort of thing that you'd expect to hear in like a church letter, is it? It's not kind of our normal conversation. I've never actually said that to anyone. Um, I I don't think many of us have, probably. Um, You might actually think that this sort of thing is, it's not very Christian or it's not very Jesus. Um, But actually, Jesus has sharp things to say as well sometimes. Sharp words actually for people who are a lot like these false teachers that have cut in on uh, the Galatians, uh, people who are putting obstacles in the way of the connection between us and God. But before we get into that, right, we're going to start at the very beginning. So Paul, our writer here, he says the churches he's writing to are running a race. 
It says they're running well. Now, running is this common description of the Christian life in the Bible. I mean, it's a common way for our writer Paul to talk about it as well. He describes his own life this way. A little bit earlier in the letter we're reading in Galatians, he says, I presented the gospel that I was preaching among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure I was not running, had not been running my race in vain. So he thinks of his life and the way he's conducting himself as running uh, a race. And then later on, what do you think, uh, right at the end of his life, in what we believe is his last letter, He talks about it this way. He says, I fought the good fight. I have finished the race. So he views his Christian life, his whole Christian life, as a race. Now, these churches, um, they were running a good race, right? That is, they were living out their faith. They were living out what it means to follow Jesus. Who has ever run in a race? I think everyone must have run sometime. Who's run with the egg and spoon? right? Everyone's running a race at some time. What does running look like? Well, it looks like hard work. Look at their faces. It's hard work. You're, you're pushing yourself. You're getting those feet up and down. And that's true even for athletes who practice running all the time. Perhaps it's especially true for athletes. Running's never a walk in the park. Running, uh, seeking to achieve the best you can, seeking to get to that finish line. It always takes effort. Um, dur- during the pandemic, I worked through the, the BBC's Couch to 5K. Yes, me, really. And I, and I, I got to the 5K, didn't stay there, didn't we? Back to the couch as well, um, which is the successful kind of backside of it. But, but at the end of the program, where I've been practicing for a long time, do you know how e- easy it was to run 5K? Basically, no easier than the start. It was really hard. It is, it, is, um, it is difficult, and that's true no matter how long you've been running. Running is work. Uh, it, it's true of the Christian life. No matter how long you've been living it, the Christian life is work. It's like a race. It's not like you know drifting round and round of the lazy river in the sun, just taking the path of least resistance, few life. That is, that is not how you picture the Christian life. It's not like your favorite comfy chair with your, your feet and your slippers up in front of you. That is not the right picture. It's active. It's not passive. It's about doing things. It's about even breaking a sweat sometimes. If you've been with us through this series, as we've worked our way through the letter, you're going to be thinking, hang on. Uh, See, we spent weeks and weeks looking at this letter, and a phrase we've used a number of times here is this, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. That is, it all comes down to putting your trust in Jesus. Put your trust in what he's done. We add nothing to it. We bring zero to the table, right? Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Well, if that's true, where's the running part? Right? We didn't say Jesus plus running equals everything, just as well, or all us non-sporty types would be out of here. Now, this idea of the Christian life as a race, as something that takes effort, it kind of feels like it's in tension with the freedom, with the liberty that we've been talking about and reading about in this letter, what Jesus has won for us. Last week, we were just talking about freedom, and it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Well, how does that work? If it all comes down to the grace of God, the way he gives us what we don't deserve, and Jesus takes the death that we did deserve, how does this work? Well, this is one of the bits of Christianity that is really easy to get wrong, which is why we're spending so long talking about it and thinking about it together. We're going to study exactly what the Bible really does say. And it does say, Jesus plus nothing is everything. That is the bottom line. The only reason that we could ever relate to God again as friends, 
as his children. The only way we could be right with God is through Jesus. We bring nothing to the table. We could never clean up the mess we've made of life. But through faith in Jesus, we are given everything, so we don't need to bring anything to the table. Through Jesus, all of our mess is dealt with. Now, the big theological statement about this would be something like this. Salvation is by grace alone, um, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Lots of alones, right? Um, And people thought about this. It's a message people have even died for, particularly in the Reformation of the 1500s. It's all about Jesus and nothing about us. Alone, alone, alone. However, right, just because salvation flows out of Jesus plus nothing, it doesn't mean nothing flows out of salvation. Does that make sense? If you think about it, it's like upstream and downstream. What's upstream of salvation? Jesus plus nothing. What's downstream of salvation? Well, that's a different question. Calvin, the famous uh, Reformation dude, puts it this way. He says, it is not our doctrine that the faith which justifies is alone. We maintain that it is invariably accompanied by good works. Only we contend that faith alone is the thing that's sufficient for justification. That's a bit heady, a bit dense. But can you see what he's saying there? He says, Salvation's by faith alone, but it isn't, doesn't come alone. It's never actually alone. So when we talk about the Christian life as running, that is what we're talking about. We're not talking about the actions will put us into God's good books or actions that would keep us there, actions that would help us make the grade. What we're talking about is actions that necessarily flow out of the true reality of a saving faith, of our redemption in Jesus, of God himself coming to live inside us by his Holy Spirit. If that's really happened, you would expect things to change. Last week, we talked about um, the phrase which comes right before today's section. Uh, It says, faith uh, expressing itself through love. And we saw that it was true freedom beginning to break in. When faith expresses itself through love, that is a true future freedom. We're becoming what we were always meant to be. True, noble, righteous, good, just, loving, patient, kind. We're we're becoming all of these things. And so as we live them out, that can be done in freedom. That is our faith expressing itself through love. That's what it looks like for us to run, flowing out of our salvation. Now, Paul writes in in another one of his letters, this same Paul, that we are created or, or recreated in Christ Jesus to do good works, to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us. Uh, Ephesians 2.10. Now, our recreation in Jesus is the upstream. That's what started. We didn't have anything to contribute to that. But the downstream is, well, there are good works prepared in advance for us. So these Galatians, okay, they are running a good race. Their faith is expressing itself through love. And then things went wrong. You were running a good race. Well, who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? Someone is getting in the way of obeying or following the truth. And as we run in our Christian lives, just like in the Olympic Stadium, there's a lane you need to run down. It's got edges. There's a track that's set out for us, the track we're obeying or following. And this is described here as the truth, right? Obeying the truth. But someone's thrown an obstacle in these Galatians' path. They put something out there to, to trip them up, to force them out of their lane and out of obedience. And when we read about uh, obeying the truth, you might be wondering, well, what truth is in view here? What, what sort of truth 
were they needing to obey? What sort of truth do I need to obey? You don't need to wonder because just a little earlier in the letter, our writer told us, some Galatians 2.5, the truth of the gospel is the truth that's in view here. He's using truth as shorthand. And the gospel is the good news that Paul shared at the foundation of these churches. The gospel he lays out for us at the beginning of the letter. The gospel is that we get to live in the grace of Christ. The problem is they're deserting the one who called them. They're turning to a different thing that's not good news at all. But this good news, the truth, is that we can live in the grace of Christ. I want to unpack that just a little bit because it's kind of a dense statement. Living in the grace of Christ means recognizing the only path to being right with God is through Jesus Christ, right? It's through accepting what Jesus did on the cross for us where he got what we deserve so we don't have to. We would call that mercy, not getting what we deserve. And then we got what he deserved even though we didn't deserve it. We would think about that as being grace, getting what you don't deserve. So living in the grace of Christ, living in the truth of the gospel means trusting our salvation doesn't flow out of what we've done or anything we could do, only out of what Jesus has done. But somebody has thrown a spanner in the works, right? Somebody has tripped up these runners. They've pushed them out of their lane. Somebody's put a lie in the place of that great truth about the grace of Christ. And that is making Paul mad, 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 as you saw with the strong words he's using here. Now, so pay attention. The lie is not that we are in a race and that we have a race to run. That is not the lie here. We're actually made to run. That's true. Let me show you where the lie is. But to do that, I need a sporty person. I need a sporty person. I need somebody here who likes to run. And I know there are some of you. Don't pretend you're not here. Who here? Who here likes to run? Come on, I need a runner. Seriously. Come on, I need a volunteer. Who's my, who's my volunteer runner? <sighs> David, would you like to? I think David wants to run. Often found running, so I, so I believe. Okay, pacey and fast, David is, right? What we need is a little run out of you, just like out those doors. Down to the stairs and back, like that, less than 100 meters, less than 100 meters. But, but, but before you go, I've got a little something, a little something for you. So if you just, oh, just come on over here. Can you, can you just pop that puppy on? You got that? Don't injure yourself. Right, off for, off for a run. See you later. Just, just to the end of the corridor and back. It's going to be easy. Run the, run the race. We've got the camera. We've got the camera. Oh, he's gone. He's got speed. The man's got speed. I hope he comes back now. If he doesn't come back, we're going to get really worried here. See, is he going to come back? He's back. He's back. Yes. We better, we better do this as a team. See, the, the truth is not that you have to run a race. The lie isn't that you have to run a race. The lie is that you've got to carry a giant burden while you're doing it, and it's a pointless burden. It's like watching the world's strongest man pull a truck 20 meters. It's got an engine. You can just drive. It's like, uh, like, like, like carrying those heavy rocks down the corridor and back when they didn't even want to go in the first place. And you brought them back to where they started. It's kind of pointless. They probably didn't want to go if you asked them. But it's, it's worse than that because this is a burden that David could carry because he's strong, fit, serious person. Um, the burden that they're trying to put on us in the lie is a burden no one can carry. And nobody ever has carried through the race except Jesus. 
It's a burden which is only going to crush you. It's never going to let you finish the line. You'll only ever collapse, exhausted and defeated because of the burden that's on your back. That's the lie here, that you have to carry this impossible burden, right? Last week, we talked a lot about freedom. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then. Do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. The freedom we're talking about here, it's not freedom to sit out the race or freedom to decide, you know, running, that's a bit tricky. I'd like to do something more modern like skateboarding. You know, it's like, even if it is an Olympic event, it's not a real Olympic event. We all know that. Um, the freedom we're talking about is taking off the rucksack and then going for a run. Do you know what happens when you take off the burden on your back? It's easy. It's like your legs stretch out. They swallow up the track in front of you. See, the Christian life is about running, but it is about running in your lane, in the truth of the gospel, in the freedom that Christ has won for us. That's how we should run, unburdened, light, easy. The false teachers in Galatia, these opponents here, they were trying to burden people with the Jewish law. Huge list of rules and regulations for how you could do everything from cutting your hair to plowing your fields. It was a burden the Bible tells us that the Jews had never managed to carry. In Acts 15, um, it's written about the same time. It's described that way. Neither we nor our forefathers have been able to bear this burden. That's why there's all this talk about circumcision in Galatians. That's the marker, the hallmark of this Jewish way of life, the entry. But all very interesting. What's it got to do with us? That's the question we like to ask every week is, so what? Nobody is trying to push the Jewish law on you, I expect. No, nobody's trying to push the Jewish law on you. So is this just like 2,000 years out of date? Is this just like totally irrelevant stuff? What's it got to do with us? Well, I've got three things for you this morning. First, it tells us that running is still a good picture of the Christian life because running is still consistent hard work. If your Christian life looks more like laying on a beach with your feet being tickled by the waves, maybe you haven't understood what you've been saved for Like not how you're saved, but what you've been saved for. Maybe you haven't understood, just as your salvation flows out and it's downstream of Jesus' finished work, good works are prepared to flow out of you. Good works which should naturally come out of that free salvation. Now maybe maybe you haven't found, haven't found yet that freedom that comes from discovering you are being renewed inside. That you have new love, new patience, new kindness new gentleness, new goodness, new self-control, and those are starting to work out naturally in your life. So first question is, are you laying on the beach or are you running? Second thing for you, the the world around us is trying just as hard as those false teachers were 2,000 years to load us down with these kind of impossible burdens of different kinds of religion. Now, it's not a Jewish law they want you to follow, but they do want to tell us we must this We must not that. We have to this. We can't that. They tell us, well, if you measure up and keep all these rules, then you're in. You're going to make it. You're valid. You're accepted. But if not, curtains for you don't want to know you. You're canceled. Now, I doubt you're under pressure to be circumcised, uh, but I'm willing to bet you've felt pressure to behave in particular ways. Um, You probably know what it's like to be excluded because you won't play along or at least on the edge of things. One of Jesus' biggest beefs with the Pharisees, his frequent opponents, was them making endless rules upon rules and laws upon laws about how to live. And Jesus calls them hypocrites. 
play actors putting on a show because they do all the right stuff in public when people are watching for people's applause, but inside their hearts when nobody's watching, it's another story. They're chasing people's applause, not God's. And far too often, when others try to load you down with rules, you'll see the same thing. Well, we struggle to keep the rules that they've given us, but they do too. The truth is they do too. It's like, it's like banning parties and then having you know, a cheese and wine meeting in small groups outside in the garden, isn't it? Church can be a particularly bad place for this too. Church can be a bad place for this. Do you have to be happy and cheery? to make the grade at church, right? Do you have to be happy to qualify here? Do you need to be all deep and spiritual to fit in? Do you need to be super knowledgeable? Do you need to have your life in order to belong here? None of those things are fundamental to running the race, automatic parts of it, and they can be really dangerous. And here's why this passage tells us. It says, a little yeast works through the whole batch. Now, do you know how yeast makes bread dough rise? If you get it right, at least most of the time I get it wrong and you just put yeast in and nothing happens. But if you get it right, yeast, um, you'll need to put a little bit in and it sort of infects the rest. It's, it's contagious. It's kind of how you would say it. And this religion, this kind of rule keeping to fit in and to please people, that is contagious as well. Any list of things you have to be to be approved of, to get on the right side of God, that That burden we're talking about over there, like knowing your stuff, like having your life in order. Here's how it's contagious, right? Even if other people are just putting on a show of carrying it, they're like, yes, my life is in order. Well, that can make us feel like maybe my life should be in order too. Maybe I can do it. Maybe I can measure up. You know, if everyone else laughs at a joke and you don't, you sort of feel like it must have been funny. I just wasn't clever enough to understand. (laughs) Ha ha. If everyone else seems to understand something, you're like, Yeah, but you don't really understand it. If everyone acts like they spend half an hour a day praying, you're like, oh, obviously I do too, because everyone does, right? And then when you see other people pat each other on the back for performing, well, oh, well done you. You've really done a great job of learning your stuff. Well, it's hard not to want that pat for yourself. Wouldn't you like to be approved of? I'd like to be approved of. It's, It's appealing. It's contagious. Worse still, sometimes you actually manage to deliver for a bit. Right, some of this box ticking, you're like, look at me. I actually read the Bible in a year. <laughs> at least for January the 1st, 2nd, and 3rd, I was on track. Um, and, and, and you get this pride growing yourself. See, I can do it. I really am one of them. Actually, I'm pretty good at this thing. It draws you in a bit more. So can you, can you see how once one person starts to live in this way in a community, it can be really contagious. It's really easy for it to spread. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. So watch out for those impossible burdens. Watch out for that contagious religion. Let me give you a quick lateral flow test. What's your quick diagnostic? You know, not 100% accurate, but it'll give you an idea, possibly, or maybe not, um, whether you are in this or not. Do, do you see somebody else performing something you think is admirable in church life and you feel like, I can and I must do that as well? You feel that urge? Hmm. There's a place for good examples, but there's a dangerous side to this too. Do you feel the pull of the crowd? I really want to fit in. It seems the way to fit in is, "Mm." do you feel your pride swell when you deliver? Check me out. I really knocked that puppy out. Um, Do you start, here's a really good one, far down the line, more like a PCR. Do you start to put on an act? Do you know 
that you are acting on the outside something that is not true on the inside. That is exactly the evidence that you have caught this religion disease and you need to spring free of it. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. One last thing, finally, today. It's just as true as it was back then that that sort of religion, that sort of contagious religion is toxic, and that's because it abolishes the offense of the cross. It abolishes the offense of the cross. Now, what does Paul mean when he talks about the offense of the cross? How is it offensive? Well, he's talking about Jesus dying in our place for our sins. How is that offensive? The offense is that Jesus' cross declares we did not measure up. Uh, and it declares we could not measure up. We, we didn't measure up to God's perfect standards, and the, the penalty for that is death. We didn't even come close. I don't know how much effort you put into being a, a good bloke or doing more good than bad on average, but the offense of the cross is that you have failed so completely that somebody is going to have to die for it. We need to accept that we're failures, not successes, and that's it's offensive to my pride. We got it wrong, not right. The, the other offense of the cross is that we cannot fix it. It's about we can't fix it. I couldn't turn my life far enough around to make any difference. Uh, I dug myself a hole, and even when I stopped digging, do you know where I was? In a hole. There was no way out. You and I, we've so offended the God of the universe that there is no way that we can make amends. It's impossible in our life for us to make things right. We are powerless, we're helpless, we're insufficient, we're incapable. How offensive is that? That's quite offensive to self-reliant people. We've talked a lot about religion and about performance. Here's the offense, our performance, the best performance we could ever give. If you knocked it out of the park, your absolute maximum is never going to make the grade. That's what the cross says. How do you know that? If anything else could have fixed this problem, if anything else could have done it, God's own son would never have died. He didn't do it for a laugh. He didn't do it to set a good example or as a softener to kind of make things a bit easier for us. He did it because without Jesus' death, it is absolutely impossible for us to be reconciled to God. And the death of God's own son tells us nothing less than it was absolutely essential. That's the offense of the cross. We cannot do it. Uh, we do not measure up, even in our best moments, despite our best efforts, and that's offensive. But it is also liberating. As we talk about freedom through the cross, we are set free. We cannot do it, and we don't have to, since Jesus already did. Our best efforts do not measure up, and they don't have to, since Jesus does measure up. We're humbled by the cross on the one hand, but we are freed by it on the other. A moment to reflect, and then we'll pray together. Uh, a lot of things to think about. Uh, Lord, thank you that um, when we look closely at what you have to say to us in your Bible, it's rich, uh, it's profound, uh, it's concentrated, it's vast. Please would you help us today? Um, we pray, save us from that sort of infectious performance religion. God, save us from putting on a show. Grant us really well-attuned consciences so that when we are putting on a show and performing for others. We just can't abide it. Um, but your spirit inside us tells us, no, this is a fake, it's a fraud, and I am free. 
Let's save us from looking at others and the way they're performing and feeling we must do the same or we could do the same. Uh, save us from looking at others and uh, seeing the approval they get and wanting that for ourselves. Help us to put all our hope and trust in what Jesus has already done so that we can run without this burden, but we can run free. And at the same time, Lord, I pray that you would help us uh, to run, to put our back into it. I know it's a difficult tension. It's hard to get our motives right and be clear. But please, would you help us to, to run this Christian life, to obey the truth, to live in the grace of Christ, and uh, to have our faith express itself through love. God, help us as we struggle with these um, big uh, tensions, trying to hold everything together in our minds, help us to get it right. Grant us insight by your spirit. And we ask all of these things uh, in the name of Christ, in the hope that comes from him, in the righteousness that is his and gifted to us. We ask all these things by the power of your spirit at work within us. Amen.